so far this season, we have gotten pretty specific about how to monetize your homestead, whether we're talking blogging or websites or using social media, or maybe even starting a microgreens business like we talked about in episode seven, we've really honed in on the homestead niche itself and and gotten specific about how we can monetize our passions and our interests within these boundaries. However, today's episode is a little bit different because I want to talk about more out-of-the-box ways that you can monetize what you're doing around your homestead or your future homestead. And I have the perfect person to chat about this very topic with me today. So you may know her, Chloe McIntosh from Boxwood Avenue. She has an Instagram and a very successful website. She lives on a gorgeous cattle ranch in a tiny California town. Yet she has been successfully curating an online shop and a soon-to-be brick-and-mortar mercantile, and she fills these with handmade items from artisans, antiques, and vintage finds. She also serves a select number of clients each year to provide interior design services, and she's joining us today to give us some inspiring insider advice on ways that you can monetize your homestead with maybe those skills you have that are definitely unique to you that may not seem like a homesteader sort of thing at first glance, but could actually be the key to unlock this first part of your journey. So let's dive in. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Hey, Chloe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Me too. So I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. Um, So let's just start off at the beginning. How did you kind of fall into ranch life? Because I know you had sort of an unlikely introduction to it. Yes, unlikely is funny, a uh, funny word to use because I live in a town called Likely. Um, oh, so, <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of how the name of the town, they, I think they were, tra- the story goes, who knows if this is true, the story goes that they were trying to find a, the name of a town and they like couldn't come up with one that wasn't being already used or something like that. So they said, it's likely we'll never find a name for this town. And then they said, well, we'll call it Likely. So I live, yeah, I live in Northern California. It's a super small town. My husband and I are both from Reno, Nevada, and we met in, I was actually in high school. We went to college together and he had never been, his family has owned this cattle ranch. We're fifth generation now, but he, I mean, he would come up here for Christmas and things like that, but he had never really worked on a ranch. He'd never ridden a horse or been around cattle before. And we were going through finals. I think it was like his junior year or senior year of college. And he came back from finals and was like, I'm not going to sign up for classes next semester. I don't think I'm going to finish finals. I'm going to move up to the, my family's cattle ranch. And I was like, okay, how, you know, have fun. There's no way you're going to last because he had not, you know, it's not, 
it, we can make it look glamorous, but it's not a glamorous life. Right. Right. And, um, then I, so I finished school, he moved up here. I figured he would kind of get it out of the system and come back to Reno and he fell in love with it. And so when I graduated from college, uh, I moved up here, I didn't really have anything else going on. And I moved up here and just settled in. My sister moved up here with us. And that was really helpful to have somebody because it is a small town and I didn't know anybody at the time. So it was his grandparents' home and uh, we lived here for two years. We now have renovated a lot of it, but at first it was just his grandparents' old ranch house that we moved to (laughs) in the middle of nowhere. Yes. I I love your story. And I guess I didn't realize from, you know, I followed you for a long time. I didn't realize that he had, I mean, he had the family ranch in his background, but he hadn't grown up on that particular ranch. I had kind of assumed that he had been doing that his whole life. And then you just came in, but you both kind of came into it. It sounds like sort of semi new. He wasn't completely new, but it was sort of a new thing for both of you. Yeah. I mean, he really had no idea what he was doing. Uh, never had been on a horse. They definitely put him on the kid's horse. I had actually, I grew up horseback riding. I would show okay. English. Yes. So when I moved up here, I have my, like my Dutch warm blood, my helmet, my <laughs> joppers, like my tall riding boots and no, but you know, <laughs> my English saddle and everything. Yep. That goes um, over well in ranching communities. They love, they yeah, love. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, um, so my horse was like major culture shock. She's turned out to a pasture. Um, but no, he actually, he had, he was really brand new. And the other day we were, I think he was like doctoring something and he was, sharing a memory of when he first got started, we have this, um, he, we call him the cow boss Emiliano. He really mentored, um, Greg was my husband. And he said, gosh, I remember out doctoring at first with Emiliano and Emiliano had me kind of holding this cow and, and they were doing something and you know how strong they are. And the cow came back and just whammed him right in the chest and totally knocked oh. the wind out of him. And he's like, yes. I was so green. I had no idea what I was doing. Yes. <laughs> but yes. uh now now he definitely does. He's total cowboy, which is great. Yep. It's fun. Yes. And I think these type of stories are my favorite. I mean, I love the stories of people who have were born and, and bred in what whatever they may love. And that's awesome in its own right. But the the ones where people are starting off green and beginners and then become experts later, I think to me those were the most inspiring stories because it just shows you that you can do whatever you want as long as you put your mind to it and just don't quit. Yeah. Don't quit. Don't get, don't quit when you get the wind knocked out of you. Yep. Cow. <laughs> the cow runs you over. Just keep on trucking. <laughs> just keep on going. It's yeah. fine. Yes. So I, I really wanted to have you on for this particular uh, season of the podcast, because I feel like you're a great example of how you can bring interests and talents that maybe aren't necessarily related to ranch life or homesteading or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, you had those before you moved out to the ranch and you've still been able to foster those and actually allow those to help you monetize and, and fund all of the things you're doing there on the ranch. So um, I think this is going to be a fun conversation because I feel like sometimes with people in the homestead space specifically, they're looking to monetize and they think they have to stay in a box, you know, with what mm-hmm. they're creating a business around. Like it has to be homestead related and it doesn't always have to be. So I think you're a great example of that. Yeah. I mean, it took me a while to figure out kind of my story and what the direction I wanted to go in Boxwood Avenue, what direction that was. Um, But I think that, and I talk about this a lot. I host like workshops, um, small business workshops. And I talk a lot about this in those workshops 
when I first started, I had a pillow shop and ribbon. I would sell ribbon and I sewed pillows. And I actually did that in college. And then when I moved up here, I was so sick of sewing pillows. Like I never wanted to sew another pillow in my life. So I thought people have these things called blogs. So I guess I could teach people how to sew the pillows. And like, I don't know how you make money doing that, but you know, like people make money doing that. Right. So I started this blog and then I was trying to kind of fit the mold and I was seeing what other people were doing. I had not embraced the homestead aspect of my life at this point. I was thinking like, okay, well I could be fashion or I don't know. I was just sharing more, more of what I saw other people doing on Instagram. This was like six or seven years ago. And I wasn't gaining any traction. I wasn't seeing any traction in growth. And it was kind of frustrating, right? Because you're, you have this idea and you know, you can do great things, but you're not seeing the growth and it's, and it's hard. And one of my girlfriends said, well, you live on this ranch. Why don't you post some pictures of the horses? People love horses. And I told, I literally told her, I was like, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Nobody wants to see pictures of horses or goats. (laughs) And then I, I posted a picture of the horses and it did really well. And I was like, okay, maybe, maybe she has some there. I'll share a little bit more of this. And slowly I started to see what made my story special. Yeah. And um, also in my Etsy shop at that time, I was selling like return address stamps. I don't know. I was all over the map, yeah. but you know, those little stamps that you, you can have custom made on Etsy and it has your address or whatever. And I wasn't seeing much growth on that either. And then I differentiated them a little bit. I made them more unique and I made them more of like homesteading stamps because we were getting married and I wanted to gift like little honey jars or whatever. So I wanted to make special honey labels, stamps. And then I started selling those. And then immediately, like it got featured in Country Living Magazine. And I was not, you know, I didn't have a big blog or a big brand at that time to be featured in Country Living Magazine. was a, I was so excited. It was a huge deal. But it signaled to me the second I differentiated my brand and embraced my own unique story, I really saw growth and traction and more fulfillment in my product, like just pride in my product. And so I always share that because I think that like that was always there. It was just going over my head for so long. I didn't see it. And then one day it just like smacked me across the face and I realized what made my story unique and special. And I think we all have that. Just sometimes it goes over our head for a little bit. Um, so I think embracing different ideas and then seeing what sticks and what works and then running with it mm-hmm. is, is helpful. <laughs> I love that. And do you have any advice for those listening? Cause I feel like it's easy when we hear someone, someone's story like yours, when you're, you're like, you know, hindsight, Oh, oh well, obviously the ranch was going to be your ticket. Cause that's so unique and cool. And it's going to be your story. But sometimes when you're in the middle of that, you know, like when you said to your friend, well, that's a stupid idea. Like it's hard to understand what part of your your life or your uniqueness is going to be um, something that you could actually share. Do you have any tips for someone who's kind of in the spot you were at at that point, how they can start to figure out what makes them unique? Yes. It, and I mean, what you just said is so right. It can go over your head for so long. I mean, I had an Etsy shop for, for, for five or six years before I figured out the, the homesteading stamps. And it went over my head for forever until just there was that one little tweak that I made. So I, d- I really don't think that there is an easy way to figure that out. Yeah. But I do think that some tips and like some ways you can brainstorm is figuring out what just you think, what you think everybody knows. So maybe 
I mean, I'm just going to relate it to like goats because I know a lot about goats, but I like, doesn't everybody know that goats need mineral? No, not everybody knows that. So, and that's maybe a poor example, but then I know to write blog posts about that specific content. And I think that the same goes for your product. Like, what do you do that you think, oh, everybody knows that or everybody does that? Maybe it's not so much the case. Maybe you are really just the one that's doing that, or maybe there's a way that you do it more special or differently or more unique that you can really run with and embrace. But I really don't think there's like a hack. If it, if yeah, there was a hack, everybody would do it, right? <laughs> yep, yep. It's usually for me, it's like journaling and sometimes praying or meditating. And then sometimes when I go outside and do something really menial, like mowing the lawn or cleaning up the barn, and then like the idea will come. But the more I sit there with my paper and I'm like, I got to figure this out now. Like I, it, it never comes, never comes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. it's, it's tricky. Like I said, I mean, yes. my, my stamps, the, the egg stamps really took off and there was no different. Like it was still a stamp. It was yeah. the exact same product. It was just done in a different way. And so if there's something that you're doing, maybe it's making soap or maybe it's um, like a spice blend you have or herbs that you're drying and tea that you're making. Is there a way that you can make it more unique to to your own story? Because the second something's done differently, people are going to gravitate towards it because it's new and exciting. And if you're doing a really good job of it already, um, that could be the way that you sort of find what makes you special because we all have that special sauce in us. We all yes. have the capacity to do something really incredible and great. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so how have you seen Boxwood Avenue grow? Cause you started off with pillows in your Etsy shop and then you started the blog. What's kind of been the trajectory there? Oh gosh. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit all over the map, uh, but I have, I have that feeling too. <laughs> Normal, I think. But I love the blog. I mean, I think it's just incredible when I first started, I mean, I did not know anything about photography. And as you know, blogging, photography, and now video, but we have to, we're editors, we're production, we're everything, right? Um, But when I first started, I never thought that it would be possible to like, to have a, a, what I would consider, I feel successful in my blog. I feel passionate about it. I love what I do. Um, I never thought that I would get to that point, right? Because I'm like, who am I? I just have this camera. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I taught myself photography and then, you know, learning how to write a good recipe. Recently, we focused a lot on SEO. Um, but to answer your question, uh, started the blog and then I always had the Etsy shop. When I started Boxwood Avenue, I actually named it Boxwood Avenue because I always wanted to have a shop. Um, That was always my intent, but I knew that I couldn't really sell product without a story backing me or a brand backing me, meaning I had to build up a brand and a story first that people wanted a little piece of, a little taste of, right? Um, Because we, Amazon exists and all these big box stores and people love to shop small and support local, but I really believe that we all need to tell our story to really connect with people and, and grow that business. Um, so I started Boxwood Avenue always with the intent to have the shop and I knew that blogging and a growing Instagram following, et cetera, would help grow that brand in the end result to have the shop. So we launched an e-commerce shop, I think three years ago, maybe. Um, and that's done. Okay. I haven't pushed it as much because the ship, you know, shipping yeah. and, uh, product and customer service and being out here remotely, it's a lot of work. Yes. So I don't, I haven't pushed the e- e-commerce as much as maybe I thought I would have when I first started my, 
you know, the, the goals have changed. Um, but now that we're doing the brick and mortar store, we're now launching a brick or opening, I should say not launching, opening a brick and mortar store this August. Uh, all of the e-commerce will be shipping from the uh, the brick and mortar. So it'll take it off my plate. And I think we can yes. really grow that. So started with the Etsy shop, grew the blog, um, e-commerce, and now uh, brick and mortar. Congrats on that, by the way. That's huge. Thanks. I'm yeah. really excited. Yeah. I'm really excited. And actually, I think it's important to note the brick and mortar store is not where I live. It's two hours away from me. So I have other people that will be yeah. helping run it. I just go visit occasionally. I'm not going to be there on this day to day. Yes. I was going to ask you if it was going to be in like, <laughs> no, <California. laughs> I, I mean, I thought not. about it. Yeah. I thought about it. There's this really cute general store and it's very tempting to, to purchase when it, if, and when it becomes available. But I just don't know if it'd be the smartest business decision yeah. because it's we're really remote. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally I totally know that struggle. Uh huh. Sure. Yeah. Can you speak a moment when when you said the piece about you know you're not operating it on the day to day? I feel like that's something that really can trip up entrepreneurs, especially newer entrepreneurs. They assume they have to. If you're going to have a store, you have to be there. Or if you're going to um, work on a website, you have to be the one building the website. How have you transitioned into delegation and outsourcing and, and building out a team where you can have a store, but not having, you know, you don't have to be there mopping the floors every day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I will, I think what's contributed to my ability to do that is to have, I've had three really amazing women uh, uh, just come to me and say, you know, like I, this is my specialty. I would love to work for you if that opportunity becomes available. Mm-hmm. So I would say r- building a really strong brand, I always knew that that was going to be important even when I started Boxwood. So if listeners are are out there wondering that, I think just really focusing on your brand values, your uh, brand identity, what you stand for, and who, the type of employees and people you want to attract, because that's what's, if they really believe in your ethos and everything, they're just going to be really great representatives of your brand when you can't or don't want to be there. So I have um, a systems and operations uh, gal named Lori, and she actually moved to Likely. That's how I met her. She lives in Nebraska now, or she's from Nebraska. She moved back to Nebraska. I miss her. And then um, uh, Nadia, who's my shop manager, and she also helps edit and manage the blog. She's also a photographer. So that's really great. Mm And then Justine, she does design. So we oh we also have interior design um, clients as well. Um, so Justine handles design. I'm pretty heavily involved in design right now. It's mm-hmm. sort of our newest big aspect of the business that I'm still sort of fostering. But eventually we'll grow that out. Um, if one good place to look that we love Fiverr, we love Upwork. Yeah. For example, we're doing our Shopify site right now and we needed major help and we're just on Upwork. We found somebody great and he's been great just like quickly making edits for us. So don't be afraid to use uh, websites like that. We use that all the time. Yes, absolutely. Um, so how how was it to, or how I guess it hasn't happened completely yet, but I know you're in the process of the brick and mortar. How has it been to move into that world from online? So you have the e-commerce, what kind of obstacles have you uh, overcome in this process so far? Um, <laughs> the build out has been—I won't say stressful. It's been fun. Uh, lots of details, and I think it's the details that any of us put into our product or in, into our work that separates us from 
big box stores or quote unquote competitors, right? Um, so really paying attention to the details and trying to stay on top of that and communicating that um, has been somewhat difficult. In the past year, um, inventory has been nearly impossible to find. And so that's been quite difficult trying to make sure we have enough inventory. For example, we were approached with a really cool opportunity to do a pop-up shop at this really great horse show in Reno, but we just, I, we had to turn it down because I don't have the inventory right now. So I'm hoping that changes. That's not Mm -hmm. here to stay, but managing inventory is difficult. Uh, I imagine that because I have Nadia who manages, who will be the shop manager, she's not going to be there every single day. So we'll have more employees and managing that. I I think will be difficult when I interviewed and talked with other friends that have brick and mortars, they said, finding employees that you really love and trust and and really love the brand is hard. Um, So that I'm sure will be difficult, but otherwise it's been fun. We just sort of roll with the punches and take it day by day, (laughs) try and enjoy the ride. For sure. And and do you see that? I mean, I guess, maybe the answer will be both, but being more something that uh, Boxwood Avenue drives traffic towards that, or people will find the brick and mortar and then discover Boxwood Avenue on the back end, or maybe it's a mixture of both. I think the latter, I think the brick and mortar, just from a business perspective, if it doesn't make that much money, like the online shop, it doesn't really make that much money. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can talk about that because I think that there's a lot more revenue opportunity in blogging and, you know, all of the digital aspects. Um, But back to your question, even if the shop doesn't really bring in that much revenue or or make that much money, it's a physical touch point. It's a physical experience. Even the online shop, like in our, um, in our online orders, we put a print of one of the horses. (laughs) Speaking of nobody likes pictures of horses. Uh, We put We put a print, a horse print in. We, ha- I have lavender from my garden that I put in, okay. and so when they open it, it smells like it touches all of their senses, right? So it smells like lavender. Then they have this horse print that they can save, and like it's not branded, but they know who it came from, so they feel that they can put it in their house, and then they have the product, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that's just an experience with the brand that I hope brings them back and creates brand loyalty. Uh, so, like, I mean, people come to me a lot, and they say a lot of homesteader friends and they say, you know, I'm thinking about having more handmade products or selling product, et cetera. And I mean, the honest truth is that it's time consuming. There's not that much. Once you factor in shipping your time, sourcing the product, getting the product listed, managing inventory, there's really not that much money in it. Right. So I think that if you are trying to monetize your homestead, really blogging, having a digital product, having um, something even on Etsy where it's a digital download of like chicken coop plans or recipes or a cookbook, that is more passive income and not as hands-on as having the shop and the brick and mortar. So I'm not naive in the sense of like this, (laughs) this is more of like a passion project than anything else. Yeah. Um, I totally relate to that. You know, I started off similar to you, blog and digital content courses, eBooks, and I got really used to the profit margins on those, which are like yeah. almost a hundred percent. Exactly. Know, you sell an eBook, you get all the money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we've diversified a little into selling beef and then we've just bought this restaurant and like learning the normal person 
expected business margins has been like, oh, wow. Like, like wait, what? Oh, I was into that 95%. Yeah, that's not, I was like, that's not normal, I guess, huh? And it's, it's, it's rough. Um, and I definitely still do have the bias, even though we have other things we're doing, like you said, passion projects. I still have that bias towards the digital stuff because yeah, like it's just, it's just totally different. Yes. And I think that in the past year, what I learned and what I was grateful for is that we are very diversified. We have presets, we have the chicken coop plans, we have the blog, so ad revenue, we have interior design clients, we have then the online shop and then brands, brand partnerships. So we have all these different revenue streams that I'm grateful for. And I think it's very wise because, you know, they could pass some sort of law where digital product, you can't do this, this, and this, or whatever it might be. And you don't want to have, or as we are seeing, um, the Google, uh, Alexas and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What's, what is our ad revenue going to look like once, if that, you know, that trend shifts from people rather than people visiting our blog. So I think it's smart to diversify. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer to just no, say diversify a, your income stream. No, that was great. And I think that is so important. And not that people, if you're listening to this right now and you're new to the whole business idea, you don't need 18 income streams no. at once. And you'll know, start with one, but I, I, I totally agree. You know, just in my years of owning the online business, we've I've had Facebook just like turn off the faucet on algorithms, right? Or Google decides that it's having a bad month and it tanks your your traffic. And so, yeah, diversification in all things, I think is extremely wise. And with that said, you know, I am pretty, uh, like I have my, I'm just dipping my toes in that Instagram, you know, everybody is so focused on Instagram and you, yeah. you just brought up Facebook. People had millions of page likes or follows yeah. on Facebook. And then it was pretty much, you know, just gone. Brands aren't paying for that. And that could very well happen to Instagram. We see TikTok growing. Um, I really think YouTube is a smart, if, if somebody's listening and not sure which platform, I think YouTube is more evergreen than any of the other social media platforms. And I would love to focus more on YouTube. It was the goal for this year. And we haven't really, (laughs) we haven't stayed on that goal, but I'd really like to focus on. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, YouTube, I, I agree. YouTube is, is better, you know, and anytime you can have your own website or blog that you own the real estate. Oh yes, of course. That's yeah. I, I totally think that's the way to go. I, there's, there's so much focus on Instagram and I enjoy Instagram, but sometimes mm-hmm. I'm, I'm concerned over some of the younger influencers. They're, they're so obsessed with Instagram. And I'm like, that's not a long-term security because <laughs> you just don't know what, when they're going to change something and then it all goes away. Exactly. And I think, uh, you know, some great advice that I didn't make this advice up. You hear it from a lot of people, but focus on one thing, do it great. Get that machine kind of up and running, you know, maybe it's YouTube, maybe it's your blog. And then once you've got a good handle on that, then you can in- introduce maybe then that's YouTube, then maybe it's Instagram and sort of get all of your wheels turning. Don't try and focus on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, all of the things all at once, because that yes. then it's just overwhelming. It totally is. Yes. Been there, done that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't work. Uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about kind of back on the online mercantile, or I suppose this would be the same with your brick and mortar. Cause I know there are folks listening who, who have that dream of a shop, even if the margins aren't the same as an ebook or an uh-huh. e-course, how do you source the items or how did you kind of come up with what you were going to offer in your mercantile? Uh, well, we 
do a lot of vintage buying. So like we go down to Round Top where I have vendors that I just have connected with throughout the years at flea markets and things like that, where we find a lot of vintage goods or um, connecting with Etsy sellers that make things. Fair is also a really great uh, platform that is, it's sort of like a wholesale Etsy-ish. So you can buy various products that are not mass produced that are kind of this handmade that you can then sell at wholesale costs. Um, and then we also source from larger brands too. I mean, we'll do creative co-op or, uh, I think Hallmark is another one, but we source from other large brands too. And sort of, so we sort of, or manufacturers, I should say, we mix in that handmade with the not handmade because, Okay. Inventory is just this, this inventory is kind of a monster to, to yes. make sure that you have everything. And it's hard with vintage stuff because you can maybe find 10 jars and then those 10 jars sell and That's you it. can't get more of them. And I will also say um, one of the hardest, actually one of the hardest things you ask what struggles I've had to overcome shipping. Shipping is yeah. very expensive for if you're not selling like the stamps were great. I knew it was $3 and 47 cents to ship my stamps because I had one box that uh, we would use. Now, when you introduce more items that have more variables, you have larger boxes or heavier items or breakable items. Shipping is a good 25 to 30% of the cost of, of the sale of the product, not even the cost of the product. So typically I think a lot of people that when you're starting out and you're trying to figure out how to price your items and uh, sell them online, you take like, let's say a jar costs you $8. Maybe you mark it up to 20. You're going to lose money because of shipping. So I always mark it up like three, sometimes even four times if it's, if it's heavy or large. So that's some insight that I think is important to remember as people get started um, to, to make sure that you are actually making money. Yes. The shipping can be killer. We have learned that in trying to get our beef business off the ground. It was not it's the problem I was hard. expecting to stump us. It's, it's rough. <laughs> Shipping's very hard and yeah. it's frustrating and things break or maybe for beef, it doesn't arrive in time and then it it's perished or whatever. So yes. it's a tricky one. Shipping's no fun. And I'll be yeah. very glad when I don't have to ship anymore. Cause like my team knows they're like, Chloe, go down and ship the orders, go down and ship the orders. Yeah. Cause I'm the one that has <laughs> to go down and ship all the orders. <laughs> yeah. I don't imagine that would be my favorite thing either. Uh, I love that you're going to have that all in your shop and that'll, I can just picture it. It'll be a nice little organized shipping station. That'll be great. Very happy to do it for you. Very yeah. excited about that. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. We've got this big peanut dispenser thing that hangs from yep. the ceiling. And so we'll be all set up. Heck yes. Heck yes. <laughs> Summer is basically here and we're all spending way more time outside working in the garden and around the barnyard. And one of the things I love to treat myself with at the end of a long day of working on the homestead is a sweet drink when I sit out on the back porch and watch the sun go down. Now, this may be a little bit of a surprise to you, but I kind of like Coke and other pops and sodas, but I do try to avoid them. And one of the ways I do that is by playing around with different flavors of iced tea. I like to add a little stevia or honey or maple syrup, a whole bunch of ice, and everybody is happy, even the kids. However, I have learned that not all teas are created equal. 
A lot of the teas that you might find at the grocery store have been treated with pesticides or they're packaged in bleached tea bags or they're loaded with a bunch of artificial junk. Thankfully, I have found some organic loose leaf teas that are amazing. The Positively Tea Company is family owned and operated and they take their tea very seriously. They have zero added sugars, but the taste and quality are amazing. Plus, their prices are hard to beat. I especially love the value of the one pound bags, which means you're basically getting four times the tea for only twice the price. So to grab your loose leaf teas for your summer nights on the homestead or the back porch, head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash tea, and you can get an additional 10% off your entire order with the code homestead. And now back to our episode. Okay, here's a fun question. If you could do it all over again, knowing what you know now, what would you change and what would you keep the same? Um, I Okay, so what would I change? I would go out the gate on WordPress. I wouldn't start on Squarespace or Wix. And I see so many people start on Squarespace. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. And... I would focus on SEO because that becomes passive revenue for, for ad revenue. And it just helps you grow because somebody is Googling, like I mentioned goat mineral. So let's say somebody Googles goat mineral. You want to come up because people want to connect with you. Like, Oh gosh, this girl was super knowledgeable about goat mineral. I have goats. I'm going to subscribe to her blog because she probably knows a lot about goats. And then I have actually a goat or like, I'm not saying I don't actually have this, but I have a goat ebook that you can buy. And so like that having focusing on SEO and you know, this, I'm probably preaching mm-hmm. to the choir here, focusing on SEO, starting out on WordPress, that's just going to set you up for success so that you're not digging yourself out of a hole three years down the road when you realize it is actually important. So yeah. that's one. And, and that goes into titling your blog posts appropriately or your product. So as we've been building out our Shopify site, because all of our stuff was on Squarespace, we've been focusing on SEO for everything down to our products from our blog posts down to our products. So that's what I would change. Um, I would figure out what my niche was. (laughs) I mean, you could open up any sort of book about business, right? Figure out what your niche is. Don't try and be all things for all people. Like I said, when I first started, I was posting like fashion stuff with like a lipstick, coffee, mug, like latte of the day or whatever. Everybody was doing that. It wasn't making me special or wasn't telling people how I was special Mm -hmm. or my story was special. So tell people from the get-go what your special sauce is so that people, the people that you want to connect with, connect with you right out the gate. Don't waste your time trying to be a bunch of different things. Um, So that's what I change. What I do the same is really have that foresight, knowing that I was building a brand that could now support a variety of things. So figuring out what your brand identity looks like and and staying true, like consistency is key there, staying true to that. Um, And focusing a lot on Pinterest too. I think Pinterest is a fickle, she's fickle, but she also can, can bring you a lot Uh, She can also drive a lot of traffic just as uh, Google can. And I always sort of understood that. So I feel like I had a good handle on Pinterest from the start. Not, I would say um, probably 
25% of our, no, 30% of our traffic comes from Google, 30% from Pinterest, and then maybe like 4% comes from Instagram. So okay. don't focus too much on, on Instagram. Right. Um, right. I think that that, you know, I'm happy. I, I've, I've had a lot of fun doing, creating this brand and who knows where it's going to go and enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey. You, and don't compare yourself to somebody else's ch- chapter, you know, if I'm in the middle of my book and you're just starting out, there's no comparison there. So try not to. I know that I would kind of get sucked into comparison trap often. So don't it's, let yourself do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Hard. I always tell people don't do it. And then I, everyone's all catch myself. I'm like, stop it. You know, better. Oh yeah. All, yeah. All the time. You know, if you have that, I saw this thing that said, um, you know, a comparison or like a spark of jealousy, really, it's really, it's just a signal that's telling you what your true passion or your true goal is. So if you kind of say, oh, I'm not comparing myself, that's just my goal. And I'm going to work hard to get there. Maybe it's writing a cookbook or having a podcast or something like that. Um, Just thinking of it as a goal rather than comparing yourself to what that person has and you don't. Yes. I've, I've noticed that same thing. Cause some, sometimes I think we get in the box of we're like, well, she's doing that and I can't because she's doing it. So now I'm going to be upset about it. But like, yeah, seeing it as that, maybe I need to listen to my gut. My, my gut's telling me that that's where I should put some focus instead of just focusing on the other person, having it and you not. I think that's great advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. For sure. So this thought came to mind as, as you were talking, I mean, you, you started with a blog, but now you have so many cool little, uh, not little, big offshoots with your interior design business and your e-commerce and uh, now the brick and mortar. Do you feel like, um, would you recommend that most folks, if they're starting this entrepreneur journey, kind of begin with a blog and let that become a hub that transforms into other things? Or do you think it just kind of depends on the situation? I think it depends on the situation. I, I don't think a blog is entirely necessary, but what I do think is helpful, I won't say necessary, helpful is creating like that really strong brand awareness and brand identity. I've said that a couple times. And the easiest way to do that is through social media. So whether that's YouTube, because I know that on YouTube or Instagram, you can create a great platform to really build brand awareness. And then having a strong website to back that up. And if that means that you're selling, you're just selling product and you're not blogging, then that's fine. Um, but I will say like, like you had mentioned, having your own platform that you own, if, you, if Instagram were to go away and your whole business was people connected with you on Instagram and they were swiping up and buying your beef every month or whatever it was, and then Instagram goes away and you don't have a website to support that that's really difficult so collecting those everybody will tell you this but collecting the email addresses and then having your website be a great hub for your community to gather I think is important and helpful does that answer that question yeah no and I I like that you said it's not necessarily about the blog or the thing but more just have the brand identity and the brand awareness whatever you're going to build or if you don't know what's going to happen in the future or what you might create just make sure that you know who you are when you start and I think it transforms a little bit but does at least have an idea which a lot of people don't have I've noticed when they're starting the businesses and they get stuck in that a lot yeah and what's inter- what what's interesting and now that I'm thinking about this is 
let's just say somebody Googles um, orange marmalade and they find my recipe and they make the orange marmalade and they never come back. I made a little bit of money, you know, maybe it's a dollar or something, $2 off of them visiting my blog and making that recipe. So that's an entirely different audience. And some people's blogs, that's their whole business model is just capturing, you know, you know this, Mm -hmm. but just capturing those Pinterest clicks and the Google clicks. And maybe they end up subscribing because they come a couple times and they realize, Hey, I I made orange marmalade from this girl. I'm going to, she, I like her recipes. I'm going to subscribe. Um, so that's one audience set. The other audience set is people that are inspired by you and want to learn from you. And they're following you on all different social media platforms and they're learning and they are really invested. And then there's the other audience is like follows along, you know, likes what you do, but isn't necessarily visiting the blog all of the time. So I think that there's three different sort of subsets. And I think knowing what the goal of your blog is, is helpful. So if the goal of your blog is to build your own brand it's not quite as important to be like the consistent blogging and the Google algorithm and the Pinterest algorithm. But if your goal is to just have passive income from ad revenue, then you want to be consistently blogging, really setting it up for SEO, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Totally agree. Um, And it's interesting also, I've noticed over the years to watch the different buying or clicking habits in, in those three different types of people, you know, and, and totally blog posts that answer a question. Like I had one that was really popular a long time ago that was like, what's the difference between baking powder and baking soda? And people would like super boring, but they would click on the blog post just to get the quick answer. And then they would click away and never come yeah. back. Exactly. Like, I don't care who you are. Just tell me what I need to know. Right. <laughs> I ran out of baking soda. Yeah. I want to see if I can use baking <laughs> powder. <laughs> a problem, woman. Um, but versus someone who came and then they read a post where I was talking about my kids or my parenting philosophies. And then they're like, oh, I like her. I'm going to find her on Instagram. I'm going to buy her ebook. And yeah, it's just, it's a different vibe depending on, on who you're right. trying to reach. There's yeah. different audiences. And when you... When you start writing your blog post for SEO, you'll really start to realize that you have very different audiences that are coming to your site, which is entirely, you know, that's totally fine. But um, I think growing that community and growing the brand is important because things shift so much. I mean, you, like I said, the Alexa and, and all the stories and whatever, we may not care so much about ranking on Google in five years because we're not making anything yeah. off of it. And we just want our, our really invested community to, to come be coming to our blog. I mean, I'm sure we'll all figure it out. There's a lot of smart people out there that will figure out how to, how we're going to still make money, yeah. but <laughs> somewhere on the, yeah, I'm banking on that. Answers. I'm like, yes, someone will yes. figure it out for me. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. There'll, there'll be some problem solvers and then we can jump on the boat. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Okay. Do you have any final words of wisdom to some, to someone who maybe, um, was in your shoes, you know, they have a, some different passions or interests, maybe not related to the homestead life or to where they're living now. How can they take those things and foster them and potentially maybe monetize them down the road? Any last bits of advice towards that? Um, yeah, I would say just, just start because it's going to be messy and it's going to be it's not going to be as pretty as you know it can be, right? You have to grow and you have to get better at your craft and hone your craft and hone your eye. So when I first started the blog, I mean, the photos, 
I look back and then just go, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's really bad. But we all start somewhere and we all grow. So just start. Don't be afraid to start. I see so many people say, well, I'm waiting on those last few blog edits from my designer and they'll be saying that for six months or a year. Those blog edits are not going to make or break your blog. Just start your blog. You know, you can do a pre-made theme from that's like the tasty theme or whatever it is on WordPress. Um, so don't be afraid to start. Just start, jump in and start honing your eye and practicing your craft. And then I would say, pay attention to the analytics, figuring out maybe there's one pin that takes off because Pinterest is great in the sense of people, you don't have to have followers. If you keywords, you know, you make your pin keyword rich, it could take off at any point. And then you can pay attention to the analytics on that. Okay. That did really well. And it was a recipe. Maybe I'm going to try a few more recipes uh, that are similar, or maybe it was an animal post. Okay. I'm going to write a few more. Like I, I could also write that about chickens and it was about cattle or, or something. Um, so paying attention to those analytics, I would say, once you get your blog started, consistency is key. Anything in life, exercise, diet, growing your business, consistency is key. So trying to be consistent in whatever it is that you decide you're going to do, even if you're not getting the immediate results or response that you want. Because, you know, when I first started, it was a slow, slow, slow process. And it still feels like a slow process. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid to take risks. I gave myself when I started the online shop, I saved up all the money that I could. And I said, I'm going to buy, I think I said $5,000. I'm going to buy $5,000 worth of inventory. And if nobody buys it, I have a lot of Christmas presents to give to people. (laughs) I was not afraid to just take that risk. I saved up the money. I, I had the intention. Um, so don't be afraid of that because it could go great and it probably will go great. So don't, don't be afraid. And I don't know any, I have fun with it because at the end of the day, it's all about having fun and enjoying it and don't take it too seriously. You can, it's, it's your business. You can do whatever you want with it. Such good advice. So much good stuff there. Thank you. I hope so. Um, can you remind everybody where they can connect with you online? Because I'm sure they're going to want to uh, go see all that you have to offer after they listen to this. Awesome. I'm excited. Everybody, hello. Um, so yes, it's boxwoodavenue.com and avenue is spelled out. So boxwoodavenue.com. From there, you'll find our uh, online shop, which is shop.boxwoodavenue.com. On Instagram, I'm at Boxwood Avenue. I'm also on YouTube, uh, Boxwood Avenue. I talk a lot. I share recipes and interior design tips. And then if you're ever in the Reno, Nevada area, come visit us. Uh, We are the Boxwood Avenue Mercantile in South Reno. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Chloe, thank you so much for your time. This was so good. There's lots of good juicy nuggets in there. So I'm sure some people are going to be listening to this again to get all the good stuff. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. It's fun to share the story. <laughs> so thanks. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, guys, that's it for today's episode. As always, you can follow along with what we're doing on the homestead over on Instagram at the Prairie Homestead. And that's it for today. We'll chat again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. <laughs>